hello, 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 everyone, um, and welcome to this month's Monero Coffee Chat. Today, we have a relatively short crowd here, but uh, we have all the cool people still. So you have me, Justin, unfortunately, and you also have Diego and DSC. How about we do brief introductions? Diego, want to go first? Yeah, um, so my name is Diego, and <coughs> I uh, do some things around the, <laughs> excuse me, around the Monero community. Like, um, I'm currently working on the new form funding system, which will be out very, 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 very soon, which is up from very, very, very soon of previously. So that that's good, great news. Um, I also so do some work on the website. Up, so yes. real briefly, somehow it moved up from last Monday, is what you're saying. Yes, exactly, and we, we moved four berries. So that's that's about as good as it gets. Um, I also do some website work. I uh, co-run this community work group that does a lot of these nonsense things like this coffee chat with Justin. Um, and I go to a lot of conferences and talk about Monero and don't get paid for it. So that's what I do. Excellent, DSC? Hey, I'm DSC. I'm a GUI contributor. I'm currently working on the next uh, GUI release, which will be uh, version 14. Uh, so I'm hard at work uh, on that. It will feature all kinds of new and uh, nice uh, new features. As you can hear, my English isn't so good, so bear with me. Thanks, DSC, for coming back on again. And just a note to the watcher or the viewer or whatever of, of Monero Coffee Chat. These are pretty informal. We're here to talk about recent developments and other things that have gone on in the Monero community. And we're happy to answer questions as they come in. I'm watching the chat here, so we certainly will have plenty of time to cover whatever questions you have in chat. So whether they are broadly Monero related or they are very specific or whatever else, we'll do our best to, to answer those or at least at the bare minimum point you in the sort of right direction where those can be in. So uh, one question that already came in is, will the GUI release be at the same time as the hard fork? And we're going to talk a little bit more about the upcoming uh, hard fork or scheduled protocol upgrade that Monero will have the first half of this year. But uh, normally these releases occur a week or two before. There's actually a uh, push in order to a, a code freeze an entire month before the scheduled protocol upgrade this uh, this cycle. So it might be available a little bit sooner depending on when they get built. But um, once the code is frozen, then you'll be able to build it yourself without any future changes. But whether or not the binaries will be available a month in advance is still to be seen, right? Uh, yeah, so, you're, uh, you're totally right. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, but this time we're really trying to get that code freeze going and have the GUI uh, ready in time for uh, for release for the hard fork. So uh, yeah, yeah. How do you deal with the translation sort of aspect? I know in the past people contributed directly to GitHub, but now with the translation work group, they have their own sort of uh, poodle system that helps them manage the translations, and then those get ported to uh, the code itself. So. Um, does that facilitate this process? Does it make it faster that you're able to freeze the code faster, or are you we're still sort of figuring this out? Or I'm not sure yet. Uh, no, for sure. This is actually a very good development. Um, uh, so in the past, uh, the translators had to create their own pull requests and uh, had to get code previewed and all all that kind of stuff. And they've been using this new system now. And from what I understand, it's like the workflow is totally different and uh, it gets merged in one one like go. Um, so there's definitely less time involved and this also means that our uh, code freeze can happen. It, it takes like less time to have a code freeze basically. Um, so that's, uh, that's perfect, yeah. That's great because otherwise you'd have to freeze the code and get less done. So this means we're able to get sort of more features out without waiting for the translations to be done over the same period of time. You could be exactly, yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'm I'm glad. I mean, I know that you don't 
work directly on the, the localization workers. So I won't ask you more questions about that. <laughs> but um, it's good to hear that it's, it's making your life easier too. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Um, so again, one last reminder before we move on to the news. Uh, make sure to ask other questions. We'll be sure to to answer them uh, in the coffee chat. So getting back to that scheduled protocol upgrade, though, Monero has two a year, and for the year of 2018-2019, they are expected to be in April and September. So the first one, April, the one that we're most worried about at the moment, um, is, is one that is coming up pretty soon here um, as far as development is concerned. All of the... In, in the Monero development meetings, they've sort of covered what is anticipated to make it into the upgrade, what was is going to be mostly reserved for the September upgrade or later upgrades. And so we can sort of cover uh, in the coffee chat today some of the, the major sort of changes that are coming to uh, Monero with, with this upgrade, whether they are directly consensus related or are just related as, as a sort of thing on the side. So if you have questions on those, make sure to make sure to ask us about them. But um, a few big things I want to cover. Um, so cool thing about Bulletproofs actually is that they're getting even smaller and even lighter. <laughs> so uh, smaller and easier to verify I think, by lighter. So um, whereas the original uh, 0.12, no, 0 0.13 upgrade, we're on 13 right now, correct? Right, I think. Yeah. Yeah, someone can correct me in chat if I'm wrong. I think we're on 0 0.13. Um, so with, with that upgrade, it um, it made the bulletproofs were introduced and it made mineral transactions far lighter and uh, far smaller. But with uh, the most recent upgrade, they're actually getting about five percent smaller. Some small tweaks, and the verification time is actually decreasing further by 60% for, for most transactions. So they're getting a lot easier to verify. Keep in mind though, that bulletproofs aren't the whole parts of the Monero transaction. They're, they're a large part, but they're not the entire thing. So Monero's total verification time for a transaction will not decrease 60%, but a large portion of Monero's transaction size will decrease by 60%. So this is another example where Monero Moo and Serang were able to get a lot more out of out of bulletproofs. It's sort of the gift that keeps on giving at the moment. So that's this is fantastic for us to, to witness, right? Um, that's obviously great news. Um, let's see. Uh, other big updates that's going on. Uh, I'm sorry, it's going to be me talking for a little while here. So hopefully you can bear with me. Um, over the past few months, the Monero Research Lab team has spent a lot of time determining how to deal with Monero's dynamic block size. This was a recent discussion that um, I, I wish we had someone from MRL here today to talk about, but at the moment, um, they, they unfortunately were either sick or, or couldn't make it. So Monero has a dynamic block size. It doesn't have um, a very, um, it doesn't have a hard-coded limit, so to speak. So um, as a result, we need to adjust it sensibly. And the current adjustment algorithm lets you double the size every over a certain period. And that period is too small. The potential growth is too large. So as a result, it's possible for an attacker now to, to sort of spam the Monero network for a relatively low cost, only a couple hundred thousand dollars, let's say. And they're able to grow the block size very large over a certain, uh, a very short period of time. So the Monero Research Lab and uh, the Nonsense uh, Research Work Group, which is it does things other than Monero too, but has a lot of a strong Monero focus, um, worked to come up with a new sort of changes, a new set of changes to better protect Monero's dynamic block size. So it would adjust slower. It would adjust with additional considerations. So that we can still adjust for certain changes, such as like a Black Friday sale or whatever it might be, but not for the block size to be intrusively large. And uh, to interrupt my ramblings, uh, we had in, we have a new participant joining us. We have Need Money Ninety. I'm sure that some of you have seen them uh, either on Reddit or through Telegram. Need Money, can you introduce yourself for the audience, please? Ah, uh, yeah. Hey, uh, sorry for uh, coming in late. I only noticed that we had the meeting. 
in the past couple of minutes. Thanks for the link, Justin. Um, actually, I, I have something to uh, talk about that I'm currently working on, if um, this is the right time to go and discuss it. Yeah, you can introduce something. You're a little quiet, though, so. Oh, it's... Um, there you go, that's OK, perfect. Um, so right now, uh, I am working on opening up the Monero subreddits CSS uh, to GitHub so that we can um, open source all of our dependencies and code, and people can make issues to uh, actually update the subreddit CSS and sidebar and stuff. So yeah, that's that's actually been something that uh, we haven't opened up until now. And I don't know why we haven't done it, but I think that's going to be probably useful for a lot of people who've been wanting updates there. I think somebody told me to do it a while back, and uh, I never did it because uh... I'm, not, I'm not calling you out. I'm not calling you out. You got a lot of stuff on your plate. It's, it's all me, man. It's all me. You, it's, hey, it's priority number fifty-seven. It's going to be opened up. You can go and make issues and uh, fix them like anybody else. We're not getting rid of you, Rerar. Yeah, we're not getting rid of you. We're just giving the responsibilities to someone else. <laughs> Circumventing, being more efficient, take me out of the loop. I see how it is. Yeah, what's what's that term in, in in regards to employment where you don't technically fire someone, but you just reduce their hours over time, and it's make them redundant. it's technically legal. You're not you can't legally do that. It's considered the same as firing someone, but you just demote them down to like two hours a week, one hour a week. We're on to you, Rirar. You know, at, at some point, that might not be unwelcome. You know what I'm saying? I can have a break. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, funny. That's it, um, that's it for uh, my status update. Yeah, thanks, Need Money. Thanks, Need Money Nine, for joining us. Um, make sure to chime in for any other relevant things we're talking about. So I got through most of what's we're talking about for April. Um, another really cool thing. Um, there was a recent set of, of drama related to. Uh, Cobri and Monero's networking sort of system and how with Monero we're trying to hide a lot of the network metadata when you broadcast transactions. Um, again, nothing that's stored on the blockchain itself, but is an important consideration when you're talking to some of the other nodes. So I wanted to make sure to take some of the time during the coffee chat today, since this was a recent development since the last coffee chat, and talk about how, like what the status of Covery is, what Monero is doing in order to protect some of this information, why we really even care about protecting this information for, for users. And um, again, what, what sort of the, the what, what users can expect um, in the future with, with these sort of developments. Um, so I can continue rambling or one of you can step in and like uh, maybe Diego and talk a little bit too about um, what the uh, Monero community work group has done in order to help start these discussions about what Covery is and sort of what it's doing. Yeah, so um, Covery has been a, a complication just because a different, it, it, with, with a number of work groups, um, whether they are directly affiliated with Monero or not, there's just not always the best communication about how they uh, work with Monero, where they are in relationship to the Monero project, what the Monero project is. Just because of all this decentralization and the fact that nobody's really used to this type of setup um, in anywhere or anything in life, um, it can get really confusing. And, and if you know how one work group works, you oftentimes extrapolate that onto all these other work groups and think that they must work the same way. And that's not necessarily the case. So a, a lot of, and it's not the fault of these individual work groups. Um, many times they do have documentation or they do have stuff that says, oh, we operate in this fashion and it's just people either don't know where to find them, don't know that they exist, don't bother to read them, um, just because they would rather assume that everything works the same way. So <clears throat> different people have different expectations for like the Cadre project or the Monero community work group itself or any of these things just because they think it should work in these particular way. But actually the funny thing is work groups are self-assembling and organic, and they can take on whatever um, structure that the people um, that start them want them to. So older ones used to have dues. You have to pay some dues to be in them. Uh, obviously, the Monero community work group doesn't have dues. Some are run by one person, two people. By they try to, or some try to be as uh, decentralized as possible with nobody running them. 
type thing. Um, so Cabri is in an interesting position where it was for a time taken under the Monero Project umbrella, uses the Monero Project form funding system, and it has goals that are aligned with the Monero Project. But um, as of late, they're, like Anonymous has said, that it's always meant to be its own project, and it's always has uh, kind of been on its own doing its own thing and meant to be agnostic and not super closely tied with Monero, despite the fact that it uses a lot of Monero resources to get where it's supposed to be, which was um, a good ideal to have. This may sound a little strange, but it's a good ideal to have where the Monero project has um, ties semi-altruistically to an external project that does benefit us, but doesn't just benefit us. This shows that the Monero project is serious in the privacy scene, like we're not just trying to, if you look at most other coins, they will develop stuff that you can only use on their platforms or with their coins. But Monero is like, hey, we're not just trying to do a pump and dump. We're not just trying to do this nonsense. We're trying to push privacy in general. We're trying to make uh, further the privacy conversation around the world. And, and this is one of the ways that we're doing it. Um, <clears throat> but the Monero community um, has, has the Monero community work group. This, there's always this distinction they have to make. The Monero community is this big gelatinous blob, and the Monero community work group is this little smaller gelatinous blob um, that we do stuff in. But the Monero community work group has tried to um, host different meetings and stuff to, to bring people from different places, like the coverage places together, and those who want to ask questions or understand, so that way we can try to clear some of these things up. And uh, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot of things that don't have the greatest of communication here. And I think that's one of the things that the Monero community work uh, is trying to do on many levels, is trying to find the places where people are the most confused, try to find the places where the communication is, is the worst, and try to increase that so there's um, not as much confusion running throughout the community. Like one thing is the open hardware arm of Monero that is responsible for things like the Costello project and some other things that will be running alongside it. Um, a lot, not a lot of people know how that works, how open hardware works in general. So a statement will be released, like I just drafted something and I've sent it off to all of these different Monero hardware people. They're going to look it over and, and send it back to me. We'll be releasing that here pretty soon because we know that is an area of a lot of confusion that goes on here. So expect that pretty soon. It's pretty exciting. Um, and along the way, you'll learn a lot about open hardware, how it works, and why it sucks and why it's awesome. <clears throat> so, yeah, so Diego, I'm going to take a step back, actually and sort of cover this Covery system again, and sort of what the develop recent updates have been. So um, in December, uh, Anonymous, who is the, he, he leads the, the Covery project. Um, we would sometimes would consider it sort of like a work group. He considers it mostly a project. So we'll call it the Covery project, um, which had previous ties to Monero. It still has some ties to Monero, but he really wanted to make it an independent project. So he announced in, December that he had, uh, at the time, little interest on in continuing with Covery, decided that another project is something that he um, was just, just, the initial stages of beginning um, was something he was more interested in working on and opened it up to the community to say, I would really encourage the community to use the form funding system funds that were allocated to me for Covery to instead be spent on this project. And this opened up a, a wide range of discussions there were, um, I suppose, and most importantly, we needed to determine what the status of Covery was in the moment. Because for the past several months, it was difficult to get updates on really what the status of Covery was. Uh, we were really confused. We, we sort of knew that an alpha came out uh, around the time of DEF CON in August. But beyond that, we, we it was hard to follow what really had been done. So um, for the status updates, really, uh, there was not too much work that was done since August. It was usually either maintenance related or, or other housekeeping related things. There, there were a few changes, but they were all pretty minor. And um, as a result, Covery, there, there's a lot of dis disgruntlement in the state of Covery and how it, the code is written because a lot of it came from a previous code code base that also was of low quality. But we were sorting, sort of trying to determine how, like, uh, what did Covery do with this code base? How well is it refined? That was a lot of that discovery process. And ultimately, um, after going back and forth, the Monero community, um, so Ercicione, who uh, leads the localizations work group, 
actually organized a meeting on Monday, the 21st of January in terms of discussing Colbury. This is a quite a long meeting. And in fact, it was a two-part meeting. So I encourage you to look up the logs that we have on, uh, on GitHub for those. And he, uh, in the meeting, um, we sort of came to several conclusions. <laughs> so first, um, Anonymal decided that they actually would like, that he would like to continue working on Colbury um, sort of after the outcome of this meeting. So um, although Anonymal has interest in pursuing this other project that he started, he still has interest in finishing Colbury for the state where it can work with Monero. Um, as was promised in the original form funding system, which said that Monero would, or Colbury would have an implementation of Monero. He's still working on that, that sort of setup there. Um, similarly, or on, I suppose a totally different note, not similarly at all. Uh, uh, as a result of the uncertainty of Colbury's future, especially around December, early January, um, NAC and Didi Grassi and a few other contributors started looking at other I2P implementations and they were able to pull together very quickly uh, a way to interface with I2P Java and uh, a setup they built called I2P Zero, none of which actually require users to install Java on their computer. So we can package it uh, directly. And you just download the normal uh, executable, you would run it, and you don't need to worry about anything else. It just kind of magically happens in the background. So uh, those sort of integrations are still going forward. There's still some discussion about what exactly will be integrated in Monero but it most likely will be that I2P Java implementation uh, because Colbury does not support some of the latest and greatest uh, uh, protocol network uh, or protocol systems that other parts of the I2P network use. It has not yet been upgraded to support that. Um, I know that some contributors are working towards that, but just based off the current state, that's just how it is. So I2P Java, um, it's usually considered a good option to go forward because it allows us to stay uh, using the most well-used and current version of I2P and uh, support all the features there. I know I'm rambling, so I apologize. And almost done. Uh, the reason Colbury might still be useful, though, is especially for iOS support. So I2P Java works really well on desktop and Android, but it would not work well on iOS. So we're still trying to figure out how to bridge that sort of gap there. All right. That's, uh, that's oh, I, I, just, I just I have a couple of things to add to that. But uh, first of all, I just I find it hilarious. I, I I move over to the YouTube stream, but they're actually seeing, and like they see, they see me big, and like this entire rant this that you've been going on, this entire explanation is just kind of been you, this little man in the corner talking about this stuff. It's, it's I, I I wasn't noticing that before. I usually see how the Jitsi thing, but uh, that's pretty funny. <clears throat> so. That's pretty fun. Uh, what I what I want to add to this is, um, I don't think people realize just how important it is that we get this portion right as well. Just this idea that um, I, I've heard it from several perspectives that you know this IP tracking thing is is minor. You know, it's one of the smaller holes that we need to fill up. And I've heard it from the other direction where um, people who think it's much more important they're like. Um, this is the legs of the Monero transaction that take it to where it needs to go. And we need to make sure those legs are strong and muscular and like the analogy begins to break down because like we need to make sure the legs are private. But um, the idea is that this is this is a fairly important portion because I mean, if we can't send this stuff to each other, then we don't have a cryptocurrency. And so we need to be able to do so in the, in the most private way possible. And I think it's so important um, that we have, see there's pros and cons to this, but not a lot of people understand this from a privacy perspective. If we just integrate one mixed net technology like Tor, let's say we just have Tor and across all the wallets and all of the things we just use Tor. Well, in some ways, that's the pros of that are that now it's hard to distinguish Monero transactions because we're mixing in with all these other Tor transactions. It strengthens the Tor network as a whole. Um, and so, you know, the, the, there's a bigger crowd to hide in. Whereas if we do like, Tor and I2P and Freenet or whatever, and we give people the option of choosing which one that they do. Well, in a sense, this kind of fragments the um, the way that Monero wallets talk to each other, and it can be a little bit easier to fingerprint specific Monero users by the mixnet technology that they're using for their Monero wallets. And so, and we don't strengthen one particular network 
very much or um, by the same magnitude as if we were all on one thing. So there's there's kind of pros and cons to this, but at the same time, like a, a major con to just using one is just that we are putting so much faith in one mixnet technology that it's not compromised, that it doesn't have a big zero day that can just do, that can uh, de-anonymize a lot of things. And um, you know they're great, they're open source, and they're all doing things in their own way, and they're all pretty cool. But it's it's tough. Privacy is not simple. I, I say this so many times. Privacy is really, really hard. And there's a lot of considerations. And um, so in regards to Anonymal who wants to work on the Secreta project, like as he worked on Cabri, he he came to the conclusion that um, trusting in any particular mixnet technology is not wise. And so, you know, he wants to put a layer in between um, and you know, I'd like to get that looked at by uh, a lot of different professionals in the space and, and uh, kind of look at those claims. Uh, but it, it kind of says it kind of says a lot to me that and, and I agree on, on, a, on a ground level that it's, it's never as simple as just integrating something. Just just plug in Tor and it should be fine. Just plug in I2P and it should be fine. Uh, it's never that simple. And we should never treat it as that simple. And anyone who thinks, well, why can't we just plug in Tor right now and just have it be done? Like, that's one of the things that we're doing. We are plugging in Tor, which hopefully will be like this next upgrade. Right, that should be there, maybe? I know, VT near yeah, yeah, OK, it should yep. be. Um, but it's, it's <sighs> people often ask the wrong questions. They ask all the wrong questions, um, thinking that the answers to those questions will kind of solve everything, and, and they won't. Um, but lastly, there, there's one more final confusion regarding the foreign funding system itself, because we did get a question in the chat where somebody's like, okay, I heard Anonymous got paid. You know, what happens next? And, and this, this is, first of all, I didn't hear that Anonymous got paid for the, the last couple of months, but I may be wrong. Um, I do know the core team has been talking about this stuff. The core team has been discussing within themselves. And there, there is this misconception about the foreign funding system and how it works as a whole. Um, once again, there's not a lot of uh, explicit documentation that outlines and formalizes the form funding system and says, you know, this is how it operates and these are the rules and, and this type of thing. It's it's kind of been flexible on purpose, but because there has been, you know, with um, with Guzzi and with FireEyes and with Anonymous, there's been there's been what are they called? Outliers. Some cases that, like, okay, maybe we would benefit from some more formalization. But uh, so one of the clarifications to be made on the form funding system is that so there's two primary um, there's not questions. Sorry, uh, excuse me for my stumbling over my words. There's two primary ways that people think about this. When I donate to the form funding system, is my money being entrusted to the core team to divvy out as they see fit? Or do I, as a donor, still have a say, or does the community as a whole have a say? So, like, so I guess that's three, not two. I can't count. You know, um, who's responsible for saying yes? A milestone, a payout should be a milestone is completed. A payout should be given. Is it the community? Is it the core team? Or is it the donors themselves? The and core team. Yes. You must take take input from the rest of the community <laughs> and the donors. Like it's, right. there's, 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 it's not just we need to defer to their opinion in all situations. It's the core team has been trusted as stewards uh, in order to divvy out the funds in a way that everybody finds agreeable. And so like we, we've placed trust in them as a centralized entity, but that doesn't mean that they're the ultimate arbiter of the decision. They just make the final call. Right. That, that, that's absolutely correct. And this is something that people just have confusion on. And so it's, I think it's pretty important that we clear that up. It's like when you're donating to the foreign funding system, you are giving this money to the core team and saying, I am trusting that you will do the best thing for Monero with this. Because otherwise, like if, if the donors have the final say, then we have to go through this verification process. Oh, I donated. Oh, I didn't donate. Here's my proof. Here's my thing. And the core team's like, we are, we're not going through that. And you know, the funny thing is, and, I, and I've said this before, the core team does not have a monopoly on fundraising for Monero. If somebody doesn't like the core team as arbiters, if somebody doesn't like the, uh, the rules that this is started under, they are free to start up their own system and make their own proposals on their own system using their own rules and see if they can't get people to donate to that. And maybe they will do kind of this verification of donors and so the donors get the final say. You, anyone is totally able to do that if they would like to and if they have the skills to do that type of thing. Um, <clears throat> 
but the the this particular implement, implementation of the form funding system operates based off of, to put it flippantly, off of the whims of the core team. So I would say donate accordingly. Donate according to your trust in the core team. I don't feel that they have done any, anything to uh, betray that trust at present time. Um, so you know, I'll keep. I'm going to keep donating. But th that's kind of that's kind of how all this works. Uh, the people that first and foremost that they will probably take counsel from are people that are proven donators or other other big wigs in the community who have built a reputation of trust. Um, but that doesn't mean that they do a very good job of, of listening to community sentiment in general and kind of going based off of that. Thanks, uh, thanks, Diego. I made a few questions come in just to sort of wrap up this this, this I2P networking corporate discussion. So. Uh, there are some basic questions about the I2P network. So one thing to make especially clear is that if you look on stats.i2p, you can see that there are far more I2P nodes than there are Monero nodes. So if uh, Monero was to suddenly make its entire network run through I2P, it would not be the case that you can just look at an I2P node and say, hey, that's obviously a Monero node because only people that, the only people using I2P are Monero. Um, actually, I2P is pretty commonly used, um, all things considered. There are a lot of people that actually run routers. Um, part of this is actually because an I2P node is an available plugin on a common torrent uh, software. So people will actually run the, the node on, with, with their torrent software, and they will connect to other I2P nodes. But as a result, you will have a large number of people that are, that are actually running these I2P nodes, and also people that are running them for any other purpose. So um, surprisingly, the I2P network is, is larger than the Monero node network. So as a result, there are a lot of other things people are truly using the I2P network for. Um, regarding some basic Tor versus I2P advantages, there's pros and cons to both, um, realistically. But one of the main reasons we're using the I2P, at least there's a strong, a strong push to use I2P as um, a, a default config type setup. People can, of course, use Tor, but the, by default for the configuration, I2P makes a little bit more sense because it scales with the number of users. So when you use Tor, you are essentially leeching off of these relay and exit nodes that you're connecting to. With I2P, you're also running a, a full I2P node, and you're contributing bandwidth to the rest of the network. So you're not just leeching off the network. So that's one of the main reasons why I2P is being considered. Um, there's certainly limitations to both. Uh, no matter whether you use I2P or Tor, it will be slower than the ClearNet pretty much no matter what. So there's certain limitations there. We're still talking about some design decisions like full uh, wallet synchronization with a remote node, for instance. That's a clear use case why you might want to hide your IP while you're syncing with a remote node. but that's really, really slow, and it might not be realistic for us to make it default config out of the box for, for some people. And so those discussions are things we're still having um, within the Monero community and dev meetings and, and even still some of the COVID meetings and so forth. So uh, really the important takeaway from Diego and me talking today is make sure to attend the meetings <laughs> so that you can get your voice, uh, or at least at the bare minimum, read the logs after so that you can see what was discussed and you can get a, a a better view than what we're just summarizing for you here during the community work group meeting. But uh, I'm sorry, the mineral coffee chat, although of course we're still happy to answer some of these questions. So hopefully, um, Edna, that's the person who sent the question, hopefully that was useful for you. And um, there's a lot of interesting things. Oh, one last thing I want to cover though. Um, another option on the table is something called Dandelion. So Dandelion works similarly to the sort of Tor I2P network system. Uh, how that works, though, is instead of using a, a different layer, you just use the Monero nodes. You essentially choose an outbound node you to forward your transaction to one node, who then sends it to another, and then shares it with the rest of the network. So it sort of creates, a, I would say, like a mini I2P type network within the Monero nodes directly. So in a way, it it's, sounds it's more a like more than I2P. Sounds like you're wrapping it with a couple layers and then sending it on its destination where it gets unfolded along the way. I2P, I think, works a little differently, but that, that sounds Tor-like. Okay, yeah. I can, I can see I can see how it could be more Tor-like. 
Um, in any case, though, it's it's simply just instead of sharing your transaction directly with all the nodes you know about, you just pick a node, you give it to them first, it gives it to someone else, and then gives it to everyone they know. Um, so that's that's a less verbose solution, but it's another solution that's on the table that, um, in my opinion, and I know Anonymal agrees with this, it, it's sort of a, it's likely better than nothing, and it's probably good enough for your, I don't really care that much use case, but I care maybe a little bit use case. So that's that's really what's that for. Does, everyone, does anyone have any different opinions on that? That Dandelion is uh, something that Monero is, is, should still pursue, but it's not a, a drop-in replacement for like, I2P or, or Tor? Right, in, 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 in isolation, like if you just deploy Dandelion and not any of these other mixed-net stuff, I mean, it probably helps 0 0.5 to 1 out of 10, in my opinion. Um, I have done <clears throat> probably a couple hours worth of research on Dandelion, so take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, right? Um, but just kind of- Passive traffic analysis on the network. Right, exactly. And actually, the cool so the cool thing about privacy technology in general is that the more layers of privacy technology you add, this is not always the case. Sorry, I have to disclaimer everything. The more layers of privacy technology that you add, such like we have ring signatures and ring CT and stealth addresses, they they don't build on each other additively. The the total privacy is more than the sum of their parts um, in almost every case. So you know, adding dandelion along with um, to one of these underlying mixnet technologies for I2P is probably going to be so much better than adding um, dandelion in its by itself or um, a mix of technology by itself. Um, so that that's kind of that's kind of really cool and exciting um, because it, it does work fairly seamlessly with those as far as I understand. All right, so I think with that we're done with the COVID topic. Any last <laughs> any last comments? I know well, that was a lot asked to get in out. Chat, maybe, maybe one of you knows this better. Uh, they asked if uh, Dandelion and I2P can be used simultaneously. I, I personally don't have the domain knowledge on Dandelion to be able to speak uh, authoritatively on that, but if okay. anybody else. Um, so that's a good question. Um, I mean, there's some way you could build some sort of system out, but if you already have a well implemented I2P system, um, you should just probably use I2P for that. Um, there's a way to maybe pair like an ish, a very initial IP transaction broadcast with, yeah, honestly, that probably would not make too much sense. Um, normally what it would mean is you, you would basically just have the Monero nodes support both I2P and Dandelion protocols, and a user could broadcast the transaction with whatever mechanism that they prefer um, knowing I2P probably provides a more rigorous protection for them, and the node will handle whatever. It wouldn't really use both simultaneously for the broadcast of a single transaction. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. a ton of sense, but I don't have a super huge amount of knowledge on Dandelion. Okay, I think that covers uh, all of the coffee questions. Um, did you guys want to discuss uh, yesterday's community meeting where we talked about uh, deprecating the various transaction types and potentially moving to sub-addresses only. Yes, I think that's a really important topic for people to understand, and I think there's a lot of confusion, not only just of what payment IDs are, but sort of where we're going with this and what the recommended actions are and the time for this. And then a quick interjection, if you need money when you're talking about this, can you do uh, your best to speak up again? Uh, yeah, I can, of course. Um, so, yeah, we are currently in the uh, process of discussing uh, whether we can deprecate the various types of addresses in Monero. I think right now we are split between going down to two types of addresses and just moving to sub-addresses only. I know that I think it was local Monero and one other service indicated that it might be a bit difficult uh, for the transition. So I'm currently trying to uh, get a representative from Kraken into the discussion, uh, one of their developers, <clears throat> so we can see exactly how we can address their concerns and whether it's prudent to switch to sub-address only by October. Um, yeah, Justin, would you like to uh, add on to that? Yeah, I think that's a uh, one major pain point with Monero for 
years, right? So basically since inception is um, in relation to these payment IDs. Uh, so to give a little bit of background, if, if I'm paying need, if, if need money runs an exchange, let's say, and I need to make a payment to him, he cannot simply look at my address to determine who paid him because that information was not visible in Monero. So what instead happens is need money will generate a random string, will give that string to me and say, okay, when you send the transaction to me, include this string in your transaction. And since need money only gave that string to me, he knows that I was the one who deposited, who sent him that transaction. Payment IDs are useful for identifying who sends transactions, especially for merchant, exchange, deposit, payment processing type use cases. Now, they're really annoying <laughs> for several reasons. Uh, first, if you use the old payment ID system where um, you have a completely separate string, I, uh, as the sender, need to make sure to copy the address for need money, and I need to copy the payment ID string. This involves copying two strings. And if I forget to include the payment ID string, need money might say, oh, well, I can't process your funds. I lost the money. You didn't say it came from you. There was no way for me to identify where they came from. These are severe grievances. And it's, it sucks for me, right, because I forgot something and now I might be screwed. But it also sucks for need money, who runs an exchange, again, so to speak, and uh, because he needs to provide support for users who forget this. And so it really, really sucks. We don't want users to have such a terrible user experience. So the there's also another wrench um, that happens because uh, the um, you can accept an address without a payment ID uh, in the current system. And so a lot of people weren't warned when they're sending a transaction without a payment ID. It would just send it like normal. The fact that people had two fields to fill in led to a lot of user errors that could have been prevented by having a single address with a checksum. Yeah. This this is this is common in all of, in all of UX. The more that you have the user do, the more steps you have them take, especially if they're just trying to do one action, the the more failures you are going to have from the user side. And this is just always the way that it's going to be. And so even the movement from standalone payment IDs as a separate field to integrated addresses only, which is still uh, lesser than moving to sub addresses only, but even that move would be so much better because people would, it is literally impossible to screw it up if it's an integrated address because the payment ID is built in, right? As opposed to a non-zero failure rate with payment IDs. In fact, it was quite high. And so a lot of exchanges, I think like Binance, started to charge money. If we have to start searching through our wallet to find your Monero because you forgot a payment ID, we're going to charge you money to do it. And a lot of other vendors is like payment IDs have been a nightmare. And a lot of the questions, if you go back, it's like, oh, I forgot to send a payment with the payment ID. Am I screwed? Um, this, this becomes a non-issue with both integrated and sub-addresses. And if we want Monero to see the quote-unquote mass adoption, although that kind of has become a big meme at this point, then the UX from the, the wallet level, from the protocol level, has to be as polished and great as possible. And it just currently with payment IDs, it is not. It is really, really not. Uh, quick question. Uh, how's my voice now? Anybody? As beautiful as always. Okay, perfect. Uh, did the volume get increased at all? Marginally, maybe. Uh, I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. So the current state of the GUI is that we are hiding the payment ID by default now. Uh, the next release will be before April. But uh, if we're switching to, uh, let's say, sub addresses by October, that means we have uh, six months or whatever that people will need to actively enable the payment ID if the exchange or this, the merchant still requires a payment ID, right? Yes, and I personally think that this is the incorrect way to go about things. If it's not deprecated and it's still in wide use, it shouldn't be hidden because that for the six months, it makes it very painful from a UX perspective. Exactly. I, yeah, I, I, I am completely against this. Uh, I, it's, you, <sighs> 
with all due respect to most developers, they are not UX people, right? And this this idea that if we just hide it in the wallet, then uh, you know people will start using it less. No, if the infrastructure still uses it, the existing infrastructure of the economy, exchanges, businesses, if they still use it, it needs to be as accessible as possible. Otherwise, people's um, when they when they interface with Monero, it's just it's going to be awful. They're they're not going to give it a second chance. They're like, this is awful, and we're, I'm never coming back to this. Uh, what needs to happen is when it is deprecated, it is taken out of the wallet and stuff. Um, and that that's 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 a non-negotiable. Honestly, it really is. I don't I don't understand how this idea came to prevalence. We cannot just take it out of the US, out of the interface. It's, that that's an absurd idea. Sure, I'll uh, double check that. Yeah, let me let me quickly share uh, one of the timelines. Sorry, let me share my screen so I can share the timeline um, in regards to payment IDs. Um, all right, does everyone see this this timeline? Yep. Okay, perfect. So you can see here as an example um, that. Uh, sorry. Click my thoughts. So we have here an example timeline, um, and we have January 2019 again, where we are now. We have April 2019, where we will be with the next soft, uh, protocol upgrade, and then October 2019, which is on, on the right there, which is when we're hoping that all payment IDs will be removed. So um, I have these slash lines here, uh, sort of for many wallets in the period between April and October. And this can mean a variety of things. I use the term deprecated, um, but it really can mean any mechanism where a user needs to specifically specify like uh, that their transaction has a payment ID. Um, and this can be taken under many different actions in different wallets. For example, with My Monero, they currently have a situation where a user needs to expand the field in order to add a payment ID. The field is hidden by default, you don't need to go to advanced options. You can, within the send screen, expand it and then send with the payment ID. Um, so they already, in, in according to this relatively loose de uh, definition, have deprecated use of payment IDs. Um, Cake Wallet and X Wallet are expected to do the same thing around the same, uh, it's a similar thing around the same time. Um, there's still discussion with the official GUI and CLI um, that it might be a little bit more aggressive. Um, as DSC was sort of saying, and you, you can clarify again, that it would not even be visible in the send screen unless a user enables something under advanced options. And um, I understand the, the argument in regards to, there are people that legitimately are making these transactions. Um, let's see, about half of Monero merchant services still use these, um, these old separate string payment IDs. But uh, part of the reason we try to do this is to simply encourage exchanges to switch over earlier because um, we can have some like user pressure to say, hey, my wallet sucks with your exchange. You as an exchange should, should fix it or else I'm gonna go somewhere else. Uh, there are already many exchanges that support integrated addresses which are you know, far superior than the unencrypted payment IDs. So uh, this is just to help people see a timeline um, again, make sure you ask questions. Hopefully, this is generally pretty helpful for you. Yeah, this is great. There is another dimension to this that I don't think we are talking about. After I thought about this, um, there, there's another big dimension to this that is not being discussed. The timeline for exchanges is not October. The timeline, the timeline for exchanges is either one or two months before October, and here's the reason why. So the goal is, obviously, to put out a new version before the hard fork. Right, so that way um, people don't have to upgrade the day of the fork. The goal is to put out a new version that um, bef before the hard fork. Um, so this means that one of two things is gonna happen with the GUI um, and with the CLI. When we put out the new version and people download it for October, when we, so let's say we do that in September. No, that, um, that one will roll in changes for the next fork. We roll the changes for the next fork in with the previous fork. So if you have a client, you're you're gonna be updated for at least the next six months, like at least six, uh, six months after. Well, you have to wait two forks, I believe, until the the deprecation will actually hit. I believe that's how our schedule works for uh, releases. So you're telling me that if I keep zero point one three and I don't update, I'm gonna be good for the April. 
Uh, yes, I believe so, unless I'm missing something. I, I think we, uh, or at least the goal was to introduce all of the breaking changes for a fork in the fork before, unless there's something major. But the stuff, like, the, the consensus changes aren't in 0 0.13. Hmm. Maybe that was just with bulletproofs. I I need to go and check back on a release schedule. Right. So like because the issue is that when a uh, this always happens when when a fork happens, people are like, hey, my money's not showing up. Oh, that's because you need to upgrade. And it's be and if the, they're still on the old version, let's say zero point one three, we're moving to zero point one four. They have to upgrade to zero point one four so that way they can be on the correct chain. The the consensus changes are not on zero point one three right now. Uh, you have to build right now from source or wait until the binaries are built. So that way you can be on the new thing. And so my, my big issue is if in October we completely eliminate um, all these other things in favor of sub-addresses, which is great, we are going to put out that version for people to update and be ready for the fork mo a month early. Let's say, let's just say, say it, it's a month early. Maybe it's two months early. Who knows? Two weeks early. At that point, when people download that wallet, even though for another month or two weeks, there is still going to be payment IDs on these exchanges, uh, they, there is not going to be any of those options on any of these wallets. So really, the the timeline for exchanges to upgrade is going to have to be when we release our new version. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I I agree with you there. So or, or there could be some fancy little something in the wallet that says. Uh, which is this is not a great solution, but in the wallet there can be this logic that says show this payment ID option until such and such date, which is a bad idea. Okay, a bad idea. But show it until such and such date, and then remove it so that way the wallet kind of automatically updates itself. Um, but that that's something that needs to, to be taken into consideration. The date that needs like because we're probably not going to do that because it's a bad idea. Uh, what the, the date that needs to be told to the exchanges is you should be upgraded to sub addresses only by September. But I mean, that, that's assuming that we put out our new version in September. This means that Monero, we're going to have to coordinate to put out a, a release schedule for October and hit these markers for a big ecosystem upgrade like this. And we have to hit these markers. Like we can't just say, okay, be ready by September. And then we don't put out our new version or anything like that. Uh, too late or we do it too early or something like that. We have to hit the schedule because this is no longer just affects Monero users anymore. Now, because this is a huge ecosystem upgrade and it is an upgrade and it's worth doing, but because it's a big ecosystem wide upgrade, we have to hit this stuff. We really do. And we, we the timeline is not October. That's one of the biggest things. The timeline is not October. The timeline is going to have to be September or whenever we decide to get this done. And we need to decide in the dev meetings, in the community meetings, when do we want to get this done for October? Because we're deciding to eliminate in October, we need to make a schedule beforehand so we can tell the exchanges when they need to be ready by. I think that's a good point, Diego. Um, in the blog post that I created with the timeline, I think it's useful for me to say, or at least recommend to exchanges that um, wallets will have essentially no support for sending the payment IDs uh, in uh, September. So I think that's that's a good point to make. And I think, that's part of the usefulness, though, of saying that uh, in the timeline that the payment IDs were already deprecated, is that we can say, well, there are already going to be some wallet issues um, in uh, April, right? Even if the wallet issues are, are very minor, it, it, it encourages the exchanges to upgrade early, um, and that'll help everyone. So really, this is a big, the hard part isn't just making a wallet that removes the feature, right? But the hard part is making sure all the rest of the ecosystem upgrades. And so um, we put a lot of effort in making sure that actually is the case. We uh, had a meeting yesterday about it, and we sort of came to these conclusions. We sent out emails to everyone in the ecosystem that we that uh, had subscribed to the Monero announce list. Um, I can paste the list in chat. And ultimately, this is a long process. Um, and at the end of it, we're sort of willing to adopt this relatively aggressive timeline because we've received feedback that people can upgrade in this timeline and that, um, oh, what was the second point? Oh, and, and also that if we, like, we come to September and no one has upgraded yet and everyone is firmly saying we're not going to upgrade, we can 
pretty easily walk back the decision to with limited effect. So um, it's not something that would be great to do, but um, it would be better that we don't necessarily need this to be a, tra a train crash either. So we can sort of avoid that uh, worst case scenario too. Yeah, we can see how much industry buy-in there is as the fork approaches. Exactly. I would like to add one thing. Uh, I can only speak for the GUI though, but I know because I work on the GUI, there's a mechanism uh, that would allow a message to be shown when the GUI is outdated. It just, it doesn't work, but we should make it work so that when people have a problem, they'll first think, well, I do have a problem, but my GUI is out of date. Let me first update my GUI instead of going to Reddit and uh, making a thread. So that's one thing I want to focus on as well, making sure that message actually works. That'd be very nice. <laughs> All right, uh, last, we're sort of running towards the end of time here. So if you have any last questions, if you're watching, thanks to everyone who's watching right now, please ask them and we still have some time to cover them. Uh, but I believe we've covered at least all the major things going on. We talked about how uh, transactions are getting more efficient. We talked about how Monero's dynamic block size is changing slightly. We spoke quite in detail about Hovery Monero's networking and uh, what's happening to payment IDs. So ultimately, uh, these initiatives, they're, they're, they're pretty big updates in terms of how people use Monero. Hopefully, that they'll make Monero even easier to use and they'll facilitate the way, especially the first impressions people have with Monero, um, where they no longer have to have a stupid standalone <laughs> standalone uh, string that they need to copy over. Um, do, do any uh, Diego, DSC, Need Money, do you have anything that you want to make sure is discussed during this meeting? Uh, or I think I already this? covered it with the CSS being moved over to GitHub thing. Um, that was the main thing I wanted to discuss when I came in. Yeah, I'm pretty good too. I have a GUI update. But uh, we can do it another time as well, I guess, if we're out of time. No, I mean, we, we have five, 10 minutes if you want to talk about it. Or if you want to keep it secretive, that's fine too. No, it's, uh, it's just a status update of what we've been working on as a work group. Um, so the last GUI release was two months ago. And since then, there has been a lot of code activity. Uh, we've seen a lot of different uh, contributors coming in and learning how the GUI works, creating awesome stuff, which is absolutely great to see. Um, some of the changes are not visible to the user. Uh, we've been focusing on improving the, the code and that kind of thing. Uh, but the next release will also have changes that are visible, such as uh, new startup wizards. They've been completely redone. Um, also a merchant page, which would allow the GUI to be used as a point of sale system. Um, the GUI will support multiple accounts. So that's a big thing. That's a really nice feature. Um, yeah, and a lot of small stuff, such as uh, being able to export your trans uh, history, uh, transactional history to Excel or other accounting software. This would probably help people with their taxes uh, and that kind of stuff. And we also want to make it easier for people to be able to uh, start using Monero more quickly by uh, enabling, like automatically choosing a remote node, which is a really touchy subject, by the way, I'm aware. <laughs> I love the video that, uh, that Samsung Galaxy player made recently. I was thinking maybe we should refer, it, uh, refer to it straight from the GUI. Uh, either way, we'll make sure that people know what the implications are of using a remote node. And last but not least, we've done some uh, work on the uh, on the image assets. They're all high resolution now, so if you have a high resolution monitor, the GUI will look even more prettier. Um, that's it, I guess. If you guys have questions, shoot. I don't have a question, but I have this recommendation that I just thought of as we're talking. Um, in regards, so I, I know that you still intend to have an optional feature where people can uh, look up the conversion rates for Monero with, with some other API, correct? Oh yeah, I forgot that one, yeah. Okay, so could you also look, can that only be used to look up the current spot price or can it look up previous prices too? 
Um, I think only the current price. Why would you want the uh, history? So, yeah, in the uh, transaction export option, if you could somehow include a field with the approximate conversion price too, that would be really cool for accounting software. Yeah, it would actually. That's uh, that's a great idea. I'll uh, I'll keep that one in mind. Cool. Um, All right, boys. I got a split. I got a life. Yeah. So uh, thanks everyone. With that, we can we can end it because it's been about an hour. So uh, thanks everyone for joining us for the coffee chat and watching. We had some great questions that came in. We covered quite a bit of topics. Uh, again, please, please, please show up to the community dev, MRL, whatever relevant meetings that you're interested in, because we really make a lot of these communities decisions during this time, and it's a great way to be informed for like an hour or so a week. Um, so um, again. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Thanks, uh, Diego. Thanks, DSC. Thanks, Team 90 All the great contributions today. We're really happy to to have you all on. And uh, with that, take care, everybody. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.